All right, everybody. You're probably wondering why we are playing Ghostbusters to start off the show. It's uh, it's to get into a Halloween kind of a mood. We're we're doing a special Halloween show, and uh, Mark is out of the room at the moment, getting me a crumb cake. Uh, Mark, where are you? Crumb cake boy. Oh, crumb cake boy. Crumb cake boy. All right. Uh, well, anyway. Yeah, well, wow, this is the most professional beginning we've ever had to a show. It's a Halloween show. We're not scaring anybody. Um, and we're going to have some uh, listener mail, and we have some other stuff to cover that, uh, that uh, is not Halloween-related, but which needs to be covered because it is, in fact, timely. It's coming out this week, and uh, we can't let it wait for a week, so uh, we're going to try to hit all of, uh, all of our bases. Uh, Mark, as long as you're out of the room, uh, have you been following... Mark? Hello? Jeez. Hello, Mark? This is the worst beginning to a show we've ever had. So, uh, there we go. Thank you. What, what do you mean with their thank you? You're making me goof on me. I'm in the other room. You're goofing on me. All right. Put the color that so, uh, in. So, uh. Put my mic. Yes. Put, put the mic on. Well, no, I yes. have to get water for myself. Okay. Well, have, have you been following the, the whole, uh, uh, Olivier Don, um, uh, uh, Harvey Weinstein dust up? Have you been following this? I have not. Tell oh us my about gosh. it. Okay. Uh, is that even on? I don't, can you hear me? Oh, there we go. That's better. Yeah. Okay. No, uh, uh, because, you know, Olivia Don directed uh, the um, uh, Grace Kelly thing, right? Grace of Monaco. Right. Which, which Weinstein, uh, Har- just, they just bumped to next year. That's right. Even though it's been done since March, and Harvey says the film's not finished. Which is okay. Harvey's way of saying it won't, be, it won't win an Oscar. Well, no, it's Harvey's way of saying we haven't been able to get in any festivals to generate any buzz, and I don't particularly like the original French cut, so I'm going to do my own cut. That's Harvey what it is. Harvey Scissorhands is back. Harvey Scissorhands is back. And um, it, it, apparently Olivier Dehan is livid because he's like, this, it's not, you know, he goes, I know how Hollywood works, but it's like, this is a French film. I made this film. The, the cut was final in, in, February, in March, and Harvey acquired it, and now he's doing his own cut because apparently Harvey doesn't like the rough edges of the film. There are too many. It, do, it doesn't make Grace Kelly, it doesn't sort of paint this just lovely, wonderful, provincial fairy tale story it's got all these rough edges to it which if you if you know the family friggin prince rainier and his, his his their crapped up kids i mean it's you know it's not all roses over there it's a it's a pretty dysfunctional family but the thing is that you as a filmmaker you have as a filmmaker you have to know what's yeah. going to happen when you get into bed with harvey Weinstein. yes absolutely this is it. yeah true so it what happens. you're saying is that a director directs a film it gets picked up for American distribution by yes. Weinstein Company, yeah. and he thinks that he will be the only director in the history of the Weinstein Company or Miramax under yes. Bob and Harvey yes. to actually have this film come out exactly as he wanted it to be released. Uh, what this basically means is that uh, when uh, that I'm basically going to have to have Christie bring me back the uh, original French cut from Paris. On Wait, that, that's not as exciting as uh, crumb cake. All right, crumb cake. Hit me with the crumb now, cake. Here's the thing: I didn't know the difference between crumb. By the way, this is by far the most interesting part of the show for our listeners. Yeah. When I explain what I made and you eat it, yeah. there's probably nothing less interesting in all the podcasting than yeah. this. Well, yeah, it is what, what it is. Do. But you know what? You, you enjoy it. I will enjoy it. Uh, uh, I, I learned something new. What'd you learn? I learned the difference between coffee cake and crumb cake. And the difference is? Uh, it seems as if, now this is a crumb cake. Okay. It seems as if a crumb cake and a coffee cake are pretty much the same, but the crumb cake you know the crumbly stuff on the top of the, mm-hmm. of the coffee cake slash mm-hmm. crumb cake? Mm-hmm. In a crumb cake, that crumbly stuff on top mm-hmm. is like just massive, extravagantly thick. Whereas on a crumb cake, it's a little more uh, 
it's sort of more peppered throughout over the cake, whereas in a crumb cake, you just, just it's just big honking chunks of that sugary stuff on top. Yes. I don't care. Doesn't matter. They're it's all good? good. It's good. It's very good. Thank you very much. Well done. Thank you very much. Have my water. Thank you. You're very welcome. All right. I'm going to get myself some water. Now, you talk about a movie. All right. I'll do it. We will get going. Um, Mark, did you, did you see the heat, by the way? Why do you ask me that when I just put the mic down? Never mind. Go away. I'm going to talk about this. Uh-huh. And feedback problem solved. So, speaking of the heat. Um, Sandra Bullock and Melissa McCarthy, who appears to have no genetic material in common with her first cousin, uh, Jenny McCarthy. Um, uh, total throwback uh, 80s buddy cop movie, except with women, directed by Paul Feig, who did Bridesmaids. He's now the go-to guy for, you know, the women's pictures, which are not supposed to be tent poles, not supposed to succeed. This thing did huge business. It really did. It did great. Um, here's the thing, I, I wa- and I watch this on Ultraviolet. I'm trying to watch at least one or two movies a week on Ultraviolet just to, you know, kind of expose myself to... The- expose yourself. Well, exp- thank you. I wear a raincoat in bed when I do it. Uh, the uh, Just to sort of see how the quality is evolving and whatnot. Looks great, sounds great. Um, here's my feeling about the movie, because I didn't see this when it came out theatrically. And, of course, this includes the unrated cut and the theatrical. The unrated cut just has Melissa McCarthy swearing a little bit more. As if, you know, it makes a difference. It's just numbing the way it is. Um, This is such totally predictable, formulaic, just lethargically written, sloppily directed, just gunk. And yet somehow I actually enjoyed it. Uh, You enjoyed it because you you were watching at home. Yeah, well. You were in a comfortable environment. And you were primed to like anything. Maybe, but but I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that I actually like both actresses. I enjoy the chemistry, even though every single scene I just sat there moaning and groaning, saying, are you serious? This is where this this is going. And the scenes drag on forever. I mean, it's not like Feige really has a very good grasp. And we knew this with Bridesmaids. Bridesmaids was very bit funny, as Tim Cogshaw likes to say. You know, it's it's like, it's, it's sketch comedy funny. It doesn't really have... You know, like you'll get this funny scene, this funny moment with the guy in the car and the whole thing, and it just goes on forever. And there's no rhythm to it. It doesn't. It doesn't even need to be there. There are at least five or six scenes in this two-hour-long movie that really don't need to be there. Well, Bridesmaids was over. Look to them. Bridesmaids is a formula. Yeah, it's a sketch comedy formula where you throw it all. You just throw it all the screen. And, you know, if your batting average is good enough, people will just remember the mm. laughs and not remember how bored they were between the laughs. And then there's your movie. And then, by the way, I, I love Bridesmaids, Bridesmaids, but... Did you see the heat? Uh, no. Okay. It, it, I mean, it's, it's, it's enjoyable, but I, I almost feel guilty. I feel like I want to wash for having liked it. Anyway. Yes. Only God forgives. Yes, he does. We almost got an interview with Refn. Could not make it work. But um, this film got panned like nobody's business. Well, you know what it is? I think that, uh, I think now Nicholas Winding Refn, who Wade and I are obsessed with and love totally. more than anything, uh, I think he's starting to creep up his butt just a little bit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but in a good way. Is it really in a good way? Well, look. You love my crumb cake, don't you? I do. That's a really good crumb cake. By the way, you know, crumb cake got me through film school. Do you know that? <sighs> Here we go. <laughs> no. When I was editing my Project One, um, I mean, you're sitting there in the bullpen, back in the days when we used to edit film on film with splices. Really? The, the Dark Ages? The Dark Ages. It wasn't so long ago. 
And um, you're sitting there in the bullpen at, you know, 2.30, 3 o'clock in the morning, trying to get your, you know, make your scene work and get your stuff going, and you get hungry. What the hell are you going to do? You go down to the vending machine and you get a, get a crumb cake. Well, oh, no, wait. So you meant the uh, the little hostess ones? They were yeah, round? That, those, I used to like those. Yeah. I liked those when I was a kid. Uh-huh. They were hostess. They were round. They were, I think they were three to a pack. See, that's the reason why they were good, because when you were a kid, yeah. Twinkies were two to a pack, or Ring Dings were two to yep. a pack, but the crumb cakes were three to a pack. This brings back memories. I'm just saying. I feel like I should be sitting here, you know, at a little moviola, and I, sink, and doing the whole deal. Uh, please Anyway. Don't. Okay, so only God forgives. If if somebody were to say to you, uh, the guy who did Valhalla Rising, forget about the other movies. Don't don't, don't even mention Drive. Because people saw Drive and suddenly they thought, oh, Refn, he's getting more commercial. He's doing narrative. He's doing linear. He can like do, construct scenes and pacing. And uh, No, that was the anomaly. If you've seen Valhalla Rising and somebody says, yeah, he, this guy, that guy, he's basically going to do the exact same movie, except it's going to be set in modern day Bangkok, you'd know what to expect. So anyone who actually went into this and was surprised at what this movie turned out to be, I mean, come on. Oh, it's so just just grotesquely violent. It's indulgently violent. Valhalla Rising features Mads Mikkelsen disemboweling another Viking with his bare hands. That was awesome. Okay, now come on. I mean, the, the, this. The, I mean, look, the Pusher films were very violent. Yeah, Valhalla Rising was violent. Drive was had moments of violence. Mm-hmm. Basically, his movies are violent. <laughs> what to tell you? I mean, did you did you were you like disappointed in this? Um, I I was disappointed that it didn't uh, build on the success of Drive. Yeah. In other words, you could still be a little bit art film, but still entertain a mass audience like Drive did. I I felt like this was uh, Andre Tarkovsky's version of The Killer. Does that make sense? I, I, I think it's more like his response to Drive. Yeah. I think to him, Drive was too mainstream. Now he had to go back up his own butt. Well, anyway, there is a commentary on this. And it's an important commentary. It's, it's good to listen to because it really does put you inside his head so you understand this film is not the piece of crap that a lot of people made it out to be. It's not. It's a good film. But it's very much a refin film. I mean, you have to accept that this is his canvas and this is his vision and this is his story. And this is, you know, you have to kind of go along for the ride. And if you find that, if find it just grotesque and off-putting and horribly, unbelievably violent, and if you know you're kind of sick and tired of Ryan Gosling playing that character, which is that character, it's the guy that he always plays, you know, the silent, granite-faced guy who you know just it becomes unbelievably unpredictable at the most inopportune times. Um, but I'll tell you, uh, Kristen Scott Thomas in that Lady Macbeth uh, creepy mom role, yeah, pretty sweet, right? Yep. Yeah. You, I liked it a lot, but you got to know what you're getting into. All right, uh, rolling along really, really quickly. Uh, a few other things just to make mention of before we get into our Halloween coverage. Just like a woman from Cohen Media, um, I obviously have a little bit of a bias with Cohen Media as I've been doing, um, doing stuff for them, but um, this is Blu-ray and DVD, Just Like a Woman, by Rashid Bouchareb, the uh, Algerian-French director who did you know, Days of Glory and, uh, and lots of other great movies. Interesting American film, English-language film that he's done here, uh, set in New Mexico, purely because New Mexico gives you a tax credit that enabled them to actually make a little tiny movie like this. Um, really an interesting film. I thought it was thoroughly enjoyable. It's almost like a, it's almost like a like a some like a semi soft version of uh, Thelma and Louise. Uh, Sienna Miller and Golshifta Farahani, the uh, Iranian actress, 
are a couple of women who uh, are fleeing bad relationships. Golshifta Farahani uh, is stuck in you know this this dreadful uh, marriage with a guy who loves her, but his mom hates her because she apparently can't conceive a child, and you know she wants her husband to get rid of her and get a new husband so she can you know bear children. Very old school Muslim mom, Sienna Miller. Her husband's been cheating on her, so um, they they just bail and go on a, on a you know they 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 know each other from the local market and they go on kind of a little road trip because Sienna Miller wants to go and uh, do this dance audition for this uh, famous dance troupe and along the way you know Golshift Farhani teaches her how to be a better belly dancer and I know you're thinking this sounds like the stupidest movie ever but you know what these are really good actresses uh, Golshift Farhani has been doing just amazing work for the last several years. Uh, and uh, has a couple of other films in the works right now. Great actress. She's won a few. I think she won Best Actress at the uh, the Berlin Film Festival at a certain point. And she and Sienna Miller are just a wonderful team. Really, really good. It's a little aimless at times, but I uh, I thoroughly enjoyed the film. I think it's uh, highly recommended. And then uh, Little Mermaid, finally out in its Diamond Edition, Blu-ray, Blu-ray 3D, DVD, digital copy, and music. Ten tracks that you can um, download for a limited time. And uh, it's got everything imaginable on it. This is uh, three hours worth of bonus features, behind-the-scenes stuff, animation stuff, music video. Uh, it's just all the usual Disney stuff that they just really throw at the wall and uh it is it's it's amazing and it's great and uh this movie totally ages like nobody's business the songs are priceless we sing them to my daughter all the time and uh yeah i just you know little mermaid is a, is a treasured memory it's the beginning of the new new era of disney animation which no longer exists that uh, katzenberg eisner resurrection uh, with these incredible songs from uh, mankin and ashman and uh god re- you know god bless him howard ashman was one of the great lyricists of all time, and you just really get that. So this is this long overdue Diamond Edition doesn't need to have the 3D on it. I think that's the 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 stupid part of it. The Little Mermaid in 3D is kind of pointless, but nonetheless, it's the new best 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 ever version of the Little Mermaid, and it rocks. If I ever have a daughter, I'm going to sing to her uh, the uh, title track from the 1983 album by Grim Reaper called "See You in Hell." Yeah, that's great. I'm so so glad you told me that. Okay, carry on. You you Mark. Um, Yes. What what other lovely things are all opening this week uh, or coming out this week on DVD that uh, have nothing to do with Halloween? Uh, you know what's funny is that is that uh, I was I was uh, bored as you were ranting on about something, mm-hmm. and um, I was pre-writing the metadata because I have to write the metadata that gets posted with the um, with the file on IGN.com yeah. and elsewhere, uh, and I actually wrote. Uh, um, it's our Halloween show, and that means Blu-rays that have nothing to do with Halloween. <laughs> I actually just wrote that as you said that. Uh, the internship, I will um, defend Vince Vaughn. I think he's hilarious. I love watching Vince Vaughn. He's so funny to me. That guy is just always a home run. But you know what? The internship really just just graded all the way through. I think that uh, Vaughn and Wilson are always cute together. I think they make a great team. They were. I love Wedding Crashers. But this movie is such a big, gigantic commercial for Google that you just, I just couldn't stand it. It was too long, and Sean Levy is the worst comedy director uh, ever. Worst. He really is the worst. And uh, the two guys, they're, they're, of course, it's one of those, like, you know, Stripes-type movies where, like, yeah. you know, like Bill Murray's, like, you know, middle-aged, he's got no job and no uh, life and no future, so he, like, joins the army or whatever Bill yeah. Murray used to do. Here, these guys are just, they're middle-aged, they want to crash the new digital universe, and so they decided to get an internship at Google. And, uh, you know, it's just uh, not funny. 
But it looks good on Blu-ray, whatever that means. The Blu-ray includes the uh, DVD at a digital HD ultraviolet version, Wade. Bam. I know. Ultraviolet, you know, bam. Speak, speaking of, um, Wedding Crashers, you know, it's all over the internet, and, and I just cannot get, get enough of that one scene in Wedding Crashers where Owen Wilson uh, tracks down uh, Will Ferrell. <laughs> Mom, more meatloaf. What an that, idiot. That movie's awesome. More for you and me. Gosh, that's a funny scene. It and, really is. It's one of the funniest things Will Ferrell has ever done. No, he, no, you it's know, just, it's psychotic. He's, it's just a psychotic moment. I, it, it kills me. It kills me to say this, but I, I, I just have to admit it. I love those Will girls Ferrell. At, girls at funerals are so horny. I love the Will Ferrell commercials for the uh, for the pickup truck. Yeah, Dodge, mm-hmm. Dodge something. Yep. For uh, Anchorman Two. Yep. Funny. Hilarious. Oh, it's the Priceless. Best. Uh, we got a bunch of criterions this week. Some of them are uh, are Halloween uh, ish. Certainly, we're going to mention them later. But the ones that are not, a couple of them: John Cassavetes' Five Films Blu-ray. Yes, Cassavetes finally on Blu-ray. I want that. Oh, dude, so freaking good. Um, but here's the thing, though. Hmm. Unlike a lot of these box sets, I don't think that there is not a ringer in the bunch. No, there's not. These are all amazing. It is the exact same design, a little bit smaller as the box set that came out previously on DVD. So they're all, you know, paper digipack things in a box. Uh, opening night, killing a Chinese bookie, woman under the influence, faces, and of course shadows. Okay, if there was, and, if there was one, if there was one Cassavetes film, yes, that should be on that box set, but is not. Gloria. Will be Gloria, but really, I mean, it's all yeah. there. But otherwise, it's all there. It's all great. It's a good deal. And you know what? Honestly, uh, I'm sorry, but if if those are the if you only made six films in your entire life. And though it's those six films, including Gloria. I mean, these these five and, and plus Gloria. I'm sorry, but that's you're done. That's why, right. But really, why why make any more? Like that's a show, wonderful oeuvre. But why make any more? Seriously, why make any more? Anyway, all the same extras that were previously uh, uh, on this are here. And that includes just gobs and gobs of interviews and uh, alternate uh, sequences and, uh, you know, uh, workshop footage. And it's just on and on and on and on. It's just, it's, it's magnificent. And, you know, Cassavetti is one of the great all-time American film treasures. He's a guy who just changed cinema with a, very, a particular look and style and approach to acting and staging. And you can't say that about many filmmakers. He's a guy who actually changed the game. He well, really did. Well, you know, I use him as an example when you talk to, you know, mm. like college kids. You know, you and I have not been in college for a while. You talk to college kids and they're like, I, I, this weekend I got to use a red camera. It was awesome. I used a red. It's digital. It's great. I go, you know what? John Cassavetes walked around Manhattan with a 16-millimeter camera and changed right. cinema. That's so it. forget you and your red camera. Who yeah. cares? It yeah, doesn't matter. Exactly. It's a, everybody's, everybody's all about the tech now, the, the, the equipment, the gear. I got a red. Yeah, screw it. It doesn't matter. Go get yourself like an 8-millimeter camera and you'll still make a difference. And then the other one is the Criterion edition of René Clair's I Married a Witch, the uh, French director René Clair, who uh, in 1942 uh, did a little bit of an American Hollywood screwball deal with Veronica Lake and Frederick March. And um, I think it should be pointed out that this movie and Bell, Book, and Candle are the two films which together inspired the television series Bewitched. You realize that? Interesting. I Married a Witch plus Bell, Book, and Candle equals Bewitched. What? There you go. 
Uh, totally unexpected that Criterion would uh, would uh, pursue a film like this, but really, really welcome. Wonderful. And I mean, this is, you know, marginally Halloween. It's witchy, but it's not, you know, it's not like it's scary or anything. Screwball comedy. Susan Hayward is in this as well, and it's just an absolutely wonderful film with some uh, surprisingly great uh, special effects in it. Good extras, uh, great-looking Blu-ray, really, really good black-and-white transfer, and has an audio interview with Renee Claire, who is uh, just an awesome director in every other way. And uh, a nice little booklet with an essay by, of all people, Guy Madden, and an interview with uh, Renee Claire from 1970. So Guy Madden went and they, they tracked him down to write a little deal on this. And you know what? The Guy Madden essay... It's in black and white. It is. Isn't that amazing? I'll go with Guy Madden humor for you. Uh, Wade, Before Midnight. Yes. Now, this is uh, the uh, latest in the Before series. There was a Before Midnight. There was a Before Lunch and Before Dinner and <laughs> Before Dusk and I don't know what the hell else. No, but they're all, you know what it is? I, I, Richard Linklater is such a bizarre yeah. director to me. The guy does all sorts of different, I mean, he's... I mean, good God, God love me, can't pin that guy down. I know. Uh, the only thing he hasn't done is like a $200 million tentpole film, but he's I done know. everything else. Um, but he always winds up go, coming back to the Before series, and this one is just terrific. It, it moves the characters forward in ways that are, you know, you, you, they're believable, they're very satisfying, uh, it's very romantic, it's very bittersweet, it's very well acted, it's very honest about relationships. And uh, you know what? I, the, I have a feeling this is going to wind up being the, a, a fictional version of the Up series. Where like it, it, every few years yeah. we'll get like another before film that like moves along this yeah. relationship. Yeah. And uh, they're terrific. I would watch all 65 before films. One of these days, Link Ladder is going to be like 85, and his actors are going to be, you know, what are they before be death. Like, 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 yeah, it, it'll, it, uh, someone will, li- he will, it will just be a couple of people in, in comas in hospital beds. No, it's this is be. good stuff. It really is good. You know, it's, uh, it, 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 it's a rare pseudo-experiment. It is. In film. It is. It is indeed. All right. Uh, you know, I'm going to do a few listener mail deals. Finally? Yeah. That time. Yeah. Do a, blow through a few of these. From our good friend Chevelle Dixon. It says, um, loved Wade's rant about Marvel being super cheap. Cannot believe the company that made millions in Iron Man 3 can't send you guys the Blu-ray. Also makes more sense why the Avengers only got a visual effects Oscar nomination and nothing else. Uh, I also saw Rush today, and it was fantastic. Easily Ron Howard's best movie, or at least his best movie since Apollo 13. Hemsworth and especially Brule were great. Had me on the edge of my seat. Keep up the good work. Yes. Agree completely. I think Rush is going to be a surprise, uh, a surprise dark horse. In the, and not that it's a dark horse, but in a, in a highly competitive Oscar year, I think a lot of people are kind of not expecting Rush to be a real contender. But I'm telling you, it's going to be. Well, it, it needs to be pushed out there because it's, yeah. it's not doing that well. So it needs a serious push. Maybe a screenplay nomination. It'll it'll at least get a screenplay nomination, and I think uh, it'll get. I think it'll get a few other surprise nominations. It's a damn good movie, man. It's really good. It's really. Have you seen Twelve Years a Slave yet? Yes, I have. You know the they're already they've already greenlit uh, Thirteen Years a Slave. Did you know that? See, I see. It, see that that joke and, was so hack. I, I didn't and, even go and there. And then and they are already now in development. Believe it or not, with Steven Soderbergh developing the following film, which will be Ocean's Fourteen a, a Years a Slave. It it's a double sequel thing, and Brad Pitt plays the. He's, he's keep going, in, keep going. Okay, he's in both. Yep. Okay, that's great. Yeah, keep going. Uh, Peter from Toronto says I'm uh, catching up on my South Park viewing. 
halfway through season six from 2002 and caught an episode titled Free Hat that include, that ridicules Lucasfilm's digital altering of George Lucas's original Star Wars trilogy and Steven Spielberg's E.T., which celebrated its 20th anniversary that year and infamously featured the digital altering of the police shotguns with walkie-talkies. Francis Ford Coppola even appears animated form along with many Raiders references. The episode showed huge criticisms toward remakes. According to the audio commentary, uh, Trey Parker and Matt Stone received a letter from Spielberg responding to the episode shortly thereafter. He no longer decided to alter Raiders of the Lost Ark, which was another major plot point featured in the episode. It's my understanding that in a July 2011 interview, Spielberg said that in the future... There's going to be no more digital enhancements or digital additions of anything uh, to anything based on any film I direct. And uh, that's pretty great. He says, if you only watch one episode of South Park ever, I highly recommend this one. I suppose we can assume where the digigods stand on the topic of retinkering works of classic films that we've all grown to love. Absolutely. Absolutely. You read that very fast, Wade. I know I did. Very fast. Yes, I did. I sure did. And then um, from uh, Kyle Stevens, recently got a chance to see The Man of Steel on Blu-ray at home on my meager 55-inch TV. You meager. Uh, I was stunned. He made, a, he made a meager living selling meagers. I was, what movie is that from? Uh, Virgil Starkwell made a meager living selling meagers. What is that from? Not going to tell you. Okay, fine, Take Virgil. Take the money and run. Take the money and run. See, the only thing, see that, it's funny the things people remember from Take the Money and Run. What I remember, I remember the sight gags. Oh my God! Yeah, when, when he was in the band, he was in the marching band, and he would, <laughs> yeah, he would carry a chair. I remember, I, I remember him growing the rabbi's beard in in, in prison. I remember him, you know, carving the the, the, the gun out of soap, and the then greatest. he goes out and then he and, and it's raining and it fro- foams in his hand. It's the greatest. That movie's the greatest. It is. <laughs> uh, recently saw Man of Steel on his fifty-five inch TV. I was stunned to realize I was able to digest both the plot and the action better on a smaller screen. When I saw it in the theater, although I liked it very much, the entire film seemed somewhat disjointed. Um, the uh, the plot was much more cohesive. I understood the smaller pop plot points better, and the uh, special effects blew me away. How well they were done, technically and scripted. So after seeing it in this fashion, I'm much higher on the film and put it on par with Batman Begins. I may be overzealous. Love to hear your thoughts on this phenomena. Um, y- you know what? It's funny. I've seen a lot of films that worked better on the small screen than on the big screen. Sure. And uh, and vice versa. And I think it, it's it just it's. Uh, there are a lot of factors that come into play, and uh, it, oftentimes it's just how the visuals and the dialogue are balanced, and you know how overwhelmed you may be by the sound mix. I mean, it's there are a lot of a lot of factors that go into that, but well, I, I still think Man of Steel is not very good. It's not very good, but uh, you talk about how you see the movie, where maybe when you see it in your own home and you are divorced from the expectations and you're divorced from the experience of seeing it in a big theater, and you can kind of pay attention more to the script and the characters and whatnot. Maybe you enjoyed it more. It's funny because I, I flashed on um, you know, Albert Brooks, who is the funniest ever. Yes. Um, Albert Brooks tweeted <clears throat> something very funny after having seen Gravity. Did you read this tweet? Mm-mm. Now, I, I'm not on Twitter, but... Um, what, did he, what did he tweet? He tweeted... He tweeted, just watched Gravity on an iPhone. Not that impressed. <laughs> That's awesome. All right. Um, so into our Halloween stuff. Here, I'm going I'm to knock through four uh, animated titles real quickly. Uh, the first one is Monsters University. Not exactly anyone's idea of a Halloween movie, but they're releasing it this week. Blu-ray, Blu-ray 3D, uh, DVD digital copy combo set. Ultimate Collector's Edition from uh, the good folks at Disney. And it really, this movie has no reason that it needs to exist. Uh, did, did Monsters, Inc. really need a, a prequel? 
Did we did we need to fill in the backstory there? No, no and it, 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 it upsets me every time Pixar does a sequel. Right. Well, it's a prequel. Well, it's a prequel. Okay. Yeah, I know. It just, uh, I feel like Pixar is like better than that. The the idea here is you know we we're we're going back to going back to college with uh, with you know Sully and um, uh, and, and uh, Mike Wazowski. And, uh, you know, where they met and where they're, they had this difficult friendship and yada, 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 whatever. Well, I mean, it's basically uh, Animal House and Revenge of the Nerds kind of imposed on the world of, of Monsters, Inc. And whatever. I mean, it's not bad, but it's also not up to what you would expect normal Pixar quality to be. It just borrows from too many conventions and it's too utterly unoriginal. Um, so, I mean, you know, it, it, again, perfectly enjoyable. If you want to sit the kids in front of it, they, they won't, you know, turn into serial killers or anything. Um, got a ton of extras, none of which are all that interesting, to be honest. Uh, the Blue Umbrella, which ran in front of the film as an animated short, kind of a semi-animated short, actually, is practically the best thing on here. I, I, I would almost say it's worth buying this just to have the Blue, um, the, uh, the blue Umbrella. All, all those shorts, the blue they're umbrella all is, great. But the Blue Umbrella is amazing because it's, it's live action and animation. You know, it's a, it's a hybrid, which is the first time that Pixar has done that. But it's amazing. I mean, it is amazing. It is just, it's, it, the shorts are where Pixar still lives in, in a it's sense. Great. You know, it, it's almost as if now that Disney has imposed their evil empire mentality on them and they, and they can't, and they, everything has to be franchised and everything has to be, you know, China friendly and you, suddenly the whole Pixar identity is, getting, is evaporating. It seems like the shorts, is, that's where they still have their creative freedom. That's where they kind of still live. So the, the pure heart of Pixar is still there in the shorts. Because and they, yeah, because the, the, the shorts are not obligated to play in China. Absolutely. Although, speaking of animation, you, yes. know, you, know, you know who died a couple of days ago? No. Uh, Lou Scheimer, filmation founder. Did he really? Yes, oh, Lou Scheimer. A, oh, my gosh. Dies at 84. I'm going to go home and light a candle. Lou Scheimer, who produced uh, Fat Albert. I, you know what? I, He-Man. I just, and that horrible Star Trek animated show, which oh, you loved, which was just yes. the worst. Lou Scheimer's name will live forever in my head as it rotates in a circle. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Only a handful of people will get that. Uh, also, DreamWorks Monsters vs. Aliens uh, cloning around. This is uh, a, a rather silly attempt to extend the Monsters vs. Aliens concept into a direct DVD. Uh, Adventure that just makes absolutely no sense at all. Tons and tons of crap on here. Uh, there's even a, a game app called um, Mission Challenge, and it's just uh, it's just silly. The, 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 I, I didn't like the original movie. I don't particularly like this. I, I find it to be utterly silly. Um, a, from Scholastic, uh, the Halloween Stories Collection, which is great. Three DVDs, 14 different stories, a lot of great uh, narration from... Uh, from name stars, uh, what you get here is Day of the Dead, Dem Bones, and Teeny Tiny and the Witch Woman. And uh, some wonderful, wonderful shorts here. Dinosaur Bones, um, Kitten's First Full Moon, The Boy with Two Shadows, What's Under My Bed, King of the Cats. And if you want the kids to watch things that are educational and not going to scare them uh, inordinately, this is perfect. This is a great way to make Halloween an actual learning opportunity and a learning experience. You know it. And then lastly, uh, a little direct. A little direct-to-DVD animated thing called A Monstrous Holiday uh, with some great voice work on here from uh, Brooke Shields, John Heater, Sean Astin, Matthew Lillard, and uh, Drake Bell. But uh, really kind of weak animation. It's like somebody did this on their you know, home computer. It just doesn't... It, it, it feels like they're just imitating too much stuff. It's from a, comp- a couple of companies called Kickstart and uh, Raindance. 
and um, you know, I guess it, it, it's fine. It's adequate. It's but it's it's certainly if you're if you're kind of elevating the bar and you're watching, you know, your uh, your Despicable Me's and your uh, Monsters Universities and all that, you're going to look at the animation here and you're going to go, wow, that's a step down. Uh, but anyway, it's uh, you know it's about a young kid who's basically the he's a, he's like a he's like a young uh, uh, kind of Doctor Frankenstein mad scientist type deal, and um, you know his his uh, his genius gets the best of him and uh, fill in the blanks, do the rest of the you know it is what it is. All right, Mark. Yes, we had some bombs this summer. We did. I'm, I I have I am staring at two bombs. Well, uh, well this was a definite unbelievable bomb. Yeah. This was a. A bomb, but uh, a disappointment. You talk about the disappointments, and then I will talk about the shining light of the summer that is the best film that people can get for Halloween. Really? Yes, but these two monster movies, let it go. Let it rip. Uh, Pacific Rim is available on Blu-ray 3D, Blu-ray, DVD, and Ultraviolet. This is uh, Guillermo del Toro's first film in five years, and uh, here's my... Thoughts on this movie. This movie is about giant robots battling giant, battling giant aliens, and that's it. That is the movie. It is they're, they're enormous CGI fisticuffs, and this thing is so relentlessly preposterous, <laughs> loud, obnoxious, and relentless that you almost have no choice but to give yourself over to it. <laughs> this thing is just. It, it, this thing comes at you at 205 decibels and does not stop. This thing is the most obnoxious film you've ever seen in your life, and somehow it is hypnotic. You are completely just hypnotized by the obnoxiousness of this film. But isn't that what Transformers was all about? Well, here's the but, but here's but here, there's a difference. Okay. See, well, that that's what people have to understand. There is a difference because when the way you describe it, everybody's going to go like, "Well, this is another Transformers movie except with monsters instead of uh, Decepticons." No, because when you have Del Toro, you have something else. You have you know gothic art horror worlds yeah. being built. And you've got amazing mood and detail, and you've got it's just like our collective nightmare visions are being brought to life yeah. by Del Toro, which is as opposed to Michael Bay, who's just a big twelve-year-old, yeah. and he just—it's all just this machine tool juvenilia, and that's yeah. all he does. So Pacific Rim, uh, I, the theme of the movie is that I, I don't know that that it really plays that well on a TV, and I know that we were just talking about Man of Steel. Uh, playing better on TV. I think Pacific Rim needs to be seen in a theater, much like Gravity does. You know, what now, I'm now do? Gravity will not work at all on a regular TV. I don't think Pacific Rim. You can watch it and go, "Oh, look, it's monsters and aliens." Um, so, gra- will Gravity work on my phone? No. Okay. Just, just ask Albert Brooks. So, I don't know what to say about this film. I, I liked it. I liked it in, in a way that I have not liked many films, yeah. which is that it, it was like being bludgeoned over the head and me saying, thank you, sir, may I have another? <laughs> because that's Pacific Rim. I mean, I just, well, I like the fact that it, it, uh, it combines two classic Japanese genres. Well, and, uh, but the thing, too, is that they were also genres that uh, Del Toro loved as a kid, and so he's sort of paying homage to that. I appreciate that. I really do. Uh, okay, the big bomb, the one that oh man, the one that everybody knew was going. You know, you know Which was, and this plays into why I chose Ghostbusters for the theme. Yes, you know of, of the show today. What I find funny is that I think America is actually not that stupid. Yeah. Somehow people can smell a bomb. Yeah. They know it's coming. Now, R- uh, R.I.P.D. It hadn't come out yet. 
nobody knows in Boise, Idaho, if R.I.P.D. is good or, or not. They have not seen it. Yet somehow, America knew that this movie was going to suck, <laughs> and they stayed away in droves. Yep. And you know what? It just sucked. Even Jeff Bridges, okay, admitted, who stars in the film along with Ryan Reynolds, even Jeff Bridges admitted the film is not very good. Yep. Um, so it was directed by Robert uh, Schwenke, who also did Flight Plan. I love that name. I know. I do. It, 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 it sounds like a name in a Chris Farley movie. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, this is uh, Bridges and Reynolds, and they, uh, they play, uh, 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 co- basically, it's like a Men in Black thing. They, they play cops, they're dead, and they... Well, it, it, this all begins with Ghostbusters, basically. Ghostbusters yeah. begat, begat Men in Black, which begat this. And, and you know, I, I like Men in Black, but seriously, Ghostbusters is the one, the one and only in the original. So R.I.P.D., it's, uh, it's just really just pretty dreadful. Uh, I, look, I love seeing um, Jeff Bridges in anything. I'm not a, I'm not a fan of Ryan Reynolds, uh, but I found the film totally unpleasant, and it was long, and it wasn't funny, and even the special effects weren't that great. It's only 96 minutes, and it feels like an episode of, uh, I don't know, Scooby-Doo. Yeah, I hear you. <laughs> Looks good on Blu-ray, though, but it doesn't matter because you'll never watch it because it sucks. Now, the film that totally took the summer by storm, I gotta tell you, The Conjuring. And, and I am not a James Wan fan. I, I think James Wan is, is a bit of a hack. I, uh, the Saw films don't impress me. But um, this is really pretty great. And, and by the way, Insidious didn't impress me either. But you know what? This is pretty great, I gotta tell you. He totally changes his style, he gives himself over to the material in the best possible way. And the fact that the two characters in this uh, are extremely religious and very serious about it is never played for laughs. It's never played for ridicule. I mean, they are completely respected by the screenplay and by the staging and everything else. Um, and for anybody that doesn't know this, uh, the, the two people who are, that this is about, which are ghost hunters uh, Lorraine and Ed Warren, uh, played by Vera Farmiga and Patrick Wilson, real people. And it's their, they, they were the ones who were on the case that became the Amityville Horror. And there are like half a dozen other movies that are based on or loosely based on cases that are part of their paranormal investigations. Yeah, which makes me think they're, they're, those guys are full of crap. They may be. But, you know, Ed Warren is, as they point out in the film, he is the only person authorized by the Vatican to perform exorcisms who is not clergy. He's not an ordained priest. Yeah. Just saying. I'm just saying. It doesn't make the Vatican very smart. <laughs> I, I don't know if that's a sign of intelligence. I, I, anyway. I'm, I'm just very surprised that Vera Farmiga, who we love, yeah. she's so great. She's so good in this. And she's good in everything. But the fact that she would be handed a script to be directed by the guy who did the Saw films, and then Vera said, uh, sure, I'll do it. You, you know, it, it's just so well done. It's, and it basically centers around a, store, a, a family who uh, is, uh, you know, they've moved into a new farmhouse. And uh, they, you know, he's a trucker, and you know, she's just being a mom, and they got kids, and of course, there's some thump, something possessing this farmhouse, and there's an ugly history to it. And man, this movie will scare the crap out of you. It scared the crap out of me. It really is. It's great spook stuff. It is just really, really good. It, uh, it just nails it. It's it's perfect. Blu-ray, DVD, ultraviolet uh, combo set. Uh, an awful lot of fun. A great Halloween movie. You can't do better with just about any other new movie that is out this week uh, for Halloween. Some older ones. That might rival it, but it's a it's a great scare. It's a really good spook time. Um, got Ava Gardner and Ian McShane and Tam Lim. Uh, they called her the Devil's Widow. You know who directed this? Oh, Steven Spielberg. Roddy McDowell. 
Really? Roddy, Roddy McDowell directed Tam Lin. They called her the Devil's Widow. I, I can't believe Roddy McDowell directed anything. I know it's hysterical, right? Uh, no, this, this is this is pretty good. Ava Gardner, uh, kind of you know, nearing the end of her career in 1971, may even be one of the last two or three films that she made, if not the last one. Uh, she uh, she's uh, it's it's just uh, you know one of these things that like what what Shelley Winters did around the same time, uh, and uh, it's not scary per se. I don't think. Uh, Ian McShane, a young Ian McShane, is uh, is interesting in certain facets of this. But um, if you want to see uh, Ava Gardner just really, really uh, chew the scenery in a movie that just you know is is really about just a woman taking advantage of kids, um, by all means, go for it. Uh, this is an all films release from the Paramount Library. They went and dug it up just in time for Halloween. It's on Blu-ray. It's a good transfer, but it has the really garish colors that you get from uh, uh, from movies in the '70s. You can tell already in 1971 the film stocks have changed, and they and the olive release totally preserves all those garish looking crappy colors. <laughs> okay, uh, Kino uh, has uh, some interesting stuff out this week: uh, Blu-ray and DVD releases of Night Tide which is a Curtis Harrington film, not a Curtis Hansen film, but a Curtis Harrington film that stars Dennis Hopper, and which was made in um, 1961. Uh, Hopper, of course, very, very young at the time. And uh, this actually is a pretty creepy movie. Um, it, is a, it is a very low-budget horror film, uh, not quite an exploitation film. Curtis Harrington is, is an interesting figure that we don't really have time to get into. Part of what makes this so good is you have this amazing score by David Raxson, who, you know, of course, did Lara and a lot of other you know, legendary film scores, and uh, really gives he, it... He died recently. Uh, he did, he did. What, about a year ago? Yeah, something like that. A year, year and a half ago. Anyway, uh, the idea here is that uh, Dennis Hopper plays a sailor on shore leave uh, who goes to a carnival and there's a woman uh, who's a mermaid at the carnival and he kind of uh, attaches himself to her and gets a little obsessed by her and uh, very quickly realizes that there's more going on than just a carnival attraction. And uh, it, it combines uh, you know, modern day horror concepts with uh, kind of mythical concepts and it's all very, really creepily done. It's a, it's a good creep fest and a very, very good transfer onto uh, Blu-ray from uh, Kino. Uh, they include an audio commentary from Curtis Harrington and Dennis Hopper, which is fabulous. And then there's a, uh, an interview from 1987 with uh, Curtis Harrington, an actual television interview. Uh, that's pretty great as well. So that is Night Tide. Not Night Rider. Night Tide from 1961, the year before Lawrence of Arabia. Uh, it always comes back to Lawrence of Arabia. Yep, sure does. Wait, a uh, very interesting uh, film noir that is highly recommended, at least by me. Is uh, the Hitchhiker? Now the Hitchhiker is from 1953, uh-huh. and uh, I I can't say that the plot of it is particularly uh, innovative. It's just about these two guys on a fishing trip, and they pick up a hitchhiker, and he turns out to be a psychopath. Oh, but here's the deal: we've seen that's like the Hitcher. Yes, it is. But here's the deal: <laughs> the movie was directed by Ida Lupino. Now Ida Lupino oh, yeah. had spent the first couple decades of her career as an actress, yeah. contract actress, and she was quite famous as a contract yeah. actress in the you know, 40s and whatnot. For sure. And then she decided that the guy behind the camera was doing all the interesting work. So she decided to become a director. And she and her husband kind of, they produced a bunch of films and she directed a bunch of films. And The Hitchhiker is pretty much, I would, I would imagine, is the most famous film noir directed by a woman. Nice. Now, Jules Dassin 
also did film noir. But Jules, you mm. think it's a woman. He's a man. Kind of a man. Yeah. Uh, anyway, so this is a terrific film. Edmund O'Brien is in it. Uh, and uh, Frank Lovejoy. It's a good film. It's one of the better noirs. It's been a little bit forgotten over the years, which is kind of a shame. So I would definitely check out The Hitchhiker, a film noir directed by a woman, Ida Lupino. Yeah. Go away. What do you got? I got Lewis Allen directing The Uninvited. <gasps> you know who Lewis Allen is. I do. Mark, tell us again. I'm not going to tell you. He's your, your, your step-granduncle? Step my step-grandfather. That's right. Your step-grandfather. And you know uh, what? Thank goodness that his work is getting its due. A Criterion release, thank no thank less. Thank you very much. Your step-grandfather getting the Criterion treatment. He's actually, he, he's actually more distant than that. He's my stepmother's stepfather. Interesting. So my, because Lewis was blacklisted, mm-hmm. he had to go to Italy, yes. which is where my stepmother grew up. So my stepmother grows up in Italy, along with her stepfather, so he could so work. So he's your two-step grandfather. He, he's kind of a step-step grandfather. Is there a step-step grandfather? Uh, no, but there's a two-step. Uh, and, and, and I think there's also a, I think there's also a Charleston grandfather. Oh, Jesus Christ. Anyway, Lewis, <laughs> Lewis Allen's The Uninvited uh, from uh, the fabulous year of 1944 is uh, a, a pretty great haunted house movie uh, with it, because it's not just about a haunted house. It's it, a little bit like The Conjuring in the sense that the backstory to all of this haunting is excellent and absolutely outstanding. And, uh, you know, I have seen only a handful of Lewis Allen films, but I got to say this may be the best one of any of them I've seen. Uh, another great score in this, in this case as well Victor Young just totally nails it And uh, fabulous transfer in 2K to uh, Blu-ray now Looks beautiful, black and white is great Visual essay by Michael Almereda Who hasn't made a movie in a million years But uh, does nice work here And uh, a couple of radio adaptations from 1944 and 1919 Both of them starring Ray Milland uh, this, is, uh, this is great, it really is This is uh, maybe the best classic movie available uh, for Halloween, the, the best foreign film for Halloween, and maybe the scariest movie we're talking about at all today, possibly one of the four or five scariest movies I've ever seen, is the French film by Georges Franjou, uh, Eyes Without a Face, which gets its long overdue uh, Criterion release. And this is from 1960. And have you ever seen Eyes Without a Face? You know, um, Almodovar, is, Almodovar is not his last film, but the film before that, uh, last year, I think it was, was, was somewhat of an homage to this. Well, I know one of my favorite Billy Idol songs is Eyes Without a Face. Yeah, it has nothing to do with it. Eyes Without a Face, you got no human grace, your eyes without a face. The idea here is essentially that there is a, a doctor, played by Pierre Brasseur, who, um, whose daughter has been disfigured. And he keeps kidnapping women to try and transplant their faces onto his daughter. It, 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 as, as much as that sounds like kind of a classic, uh, you know, uh, scenario. I mean, there are a lot of movies that have similar plots to that. But this is freaky on, on a level I can't even describe. It's so horrifying. I saw this in school, and I, I think I wet myself. Actually watching, I think I just lost... Con- Complete control of my urinary tract while watching this movie. It is just so freaky. Uh, great movie. Unbelievably good transfer. And, and that's saying a lot because there are contrasts in this movie that are really, really difficult to capture. Um, but the Blu-ray does a great job. There's no chalkiness. There's no disintegration, no pixelation, no edge enhancement. It just, 
it is a great, great transfer uh, of all these. I mean, it's just a, the dark edges of these scenes are, are so perfectly done. Uh, great stuff here. Include uh, archival interviews with Franju talking about horror films and stuff in general. An interview with uh, Edith Scobe. Brand new interview with Edith Scobe, who, uh, you know, glad she's still around. And then excerpts from uh, Les Grands Pères du Crime, which is a 1985 documentary about uh, the writers of the film. And uh, it, uh, you got to get this. This is great. It's going to creep you out on a, on a big, gnarly, hairy level. Wade, uh, The Purge was a surprise number one yeah. uh, earlier this year. And uh, this is a movie uh, with a lot on its mind, at least on paper. Mm-hmm. But the movie doesn't really delve into the more interesting aspects of its uh, story because uh, that's not a, that doesn't involve uh, violence and creepiness. Nope. So in the future, um, uh, America is uh, pretty much devoid of, uh, of unemployment and crime because uh, for a 24-hour period every day, anybody can commit any crime they want with impunity and they will not be arrested or prosecuted. So you've got you know, 24 hours or 12 hours to commit any crime you want, murder, mayhem, robbery, larceny, whatever nice. you want, and you can just do it. So, uh, and, and, and Congress wastes their time on stuff like the debt ceiling and, and, and all this kind of stuff. Correct. When, when they could actually be passing constructive legislation like that. Correct. That's uh, so the whole idea is that the reason why unemployment and crime is so low is because everybody gets, everybody gets their homicidal feelings out in one big fell swoop, that's and that's great. it for the year. That's nice. Now, you know what that reminds me of? Uh, what? Festival, festival. Are you of the body? Do you follow Landrew? <laughs> the worst. That was, that was one of the lamer episodes. Oof. Um, so there's a lot to be said there about uh, the one percenters and the whole idea that... <laughs> I'm sorry. I don't know why I went there. Uh, a whole lot to be said about one percenters and how maybe this whole purge is being done to rid the world of poor people because yeah. rich people can go out with their high-powered rifles and just pick off poor people. Yeah. But in the end, all that interesting subtextual stuff never really comes to the fore, never really becomes part of the movie because it's all about just a home invasion. Guy, a bunch of guys are holed up in their house trying not to get murdered on purge night, and that's kind of it. I mean, there's even interesting stuff where the government, the American government, is has kind of been, t- been taken over by religious zealots. I mean... There are these scenes where the government makes these statements, and they're always mentioning God. So you know there's been some religious takeover of the government, which in a way, especially in the Tea Party era, is fascinating. Yeah. But, you know, it just almost becomes a coincidence. I don't really know that they even realized that they were doing something so potentially provocative. They just were more interested in doing a home invasion thriller. So it's a bit of a missed opportunity, but um, if you like missed opportunities, it's a pretty good one. Why not? The Purge. With Ethan Hawke, whose career is... I don't know what his career is doing. He well, he's doing all sorts of stuff. He's going all over the place. He's working with Julie Delpy. Uh, he is. And they're going to do a double sequel. It's going to be uh, the Purged Midnight. Purge, purge before... What? Purge, I don't know. No, it's be, it'll be before the Purge. Uh, you know, Danny Trejo, uh, it is somehow, with the, the Machete films, has been turned into like this direct-to-video icon. And he literally, I kid you not, in addition to Machete, what was the new one? Machete Kills, Machete, whatever. I did not see it. Anyway, which just recently came and went in theaters. Uh, he's got like, like a, half a dozen movies that have gone straight to DVD, straight to Blu-ray in the last six weeks. And he plays the same character in all of them. Uh, and this one, he's a, a zombie hunting priest, uh, zombie hunter. 
I mean, come on. I want to see how many. Uh, Look, give me a give me a break. What kind of you know that tells you everything you need to know about the movie, right? Doesn't that you think that tells you everything you need to know? I, I'm going. Oh to, no, it doesn't. Look what's in the back of the back. A hot girl in a car. <laughs> I'm going to see how many. Danny Trejo in a priest collar holding an axe. Flip it over. A couple of busty women in a fast car. Now wait. That's my kind of movie. Now we get this. Yeah. I went on IMDb. I'm there now. Yeah. Because I wanted to get a sense of how many films. How many actor credits? Danny Trejo has. I want. Now. It's got to be at least 100. I'm going to remove the approximately 20 that are in post production. Yep. Or pre production. Right. And if you excuse those, and this, this encompasses TV also, it probably. Yeah, this encompasses TV also. Mm-hmm. He has approximately 230 credits. Whoa. Starting all the way Whoa. back. To 1983 and something called Project A, and uh, he was also in from 1985 Runaway Train, the great Andre Konchalovsky film. I don't know what he played in that, but uh, he's Danny Trejo, and he's awesome. Nice. Well, anyway, uh, basically, this is about a. This, this is kind of like uh, you know Breaking Breaking Bad meets zombies in a way. It's about uh, basically a drug that turns people into zombies. And um, Danny Trejo is the guy, he's this like whacked out Father Jesus who uh, is leading everybody in this bizarre kind of apocalyptic quest to destroy the zombies to achieve some kind of religious nirvana. It's a, it's a straight up just blood and guts gore zombie movie made on a decent budget, but you know... It's not gonna. It's not gonna win any uh, unlikely, you know, huge over-the-top accolades from the from the zombie, you know, aficionados. Uh, a few other ones, real quickly, before uh, Mark dives into uh, some other titles. Frankenstein's Army. What is hell? This place is worse. Uh, Frankenstein's Army is. Uh, uh, you know, it's, it, it, it was supposed to be kind of a groovy cult film. And uh, I don't quite understand. I, I read a few reviews online from people who just like went, went completely nuts for it, and I don't really understand what they uh, what they were watching because I wasn't watching it. Uh, it all takes place. It, it starts like near the end of World War II, where a bunch of uh, Russian soldiers are um, kind of come into this small town, and uh, there's a crazy you know mad scientist there played by Carol Roden. And uh, next thing you know, it's, they discover that he's invented these bizarre robot Frankenstein creatures. And uh, I don't know. It's like, okay. It, it's not particularly well done. It's got some interesting design work. It's kind of cyberpunk. But I don't know. It didn't do much for me. And then a couple of, um, a couple of sequels that never needed to exist uh, are out on Blu-ray. Uh, one of them is a Blu-ray DVD digital copy combo, uh, Ultraviolet. And that one is Fright Night 2, New Blood, unrated. Did Fright Night really need a sequel? Yes. No, not really. Uh, this includes an, a rated and unrated version of a film that never needed to exist. And then the other one is uh, Creepshow 2. Um, I don't know why this even was made. Uh, I don't know anybody who saw Creepshow and thought, oh my gosh, we need another one. I mean, Creepshow is kind of a, a one-of-a-kind movie, and this is not particularly good. Um, it, it, it is, in fact, sanctioned by Stephen King and George Romero, as the first was. So I guess, uh, you know, there's some, 
I guess I guess you know the fans will probably uh, uh, vibe to it. Uh, it is still based on Stephen King material. Romero did not direct it, however, he wrote it and turned directing over to Michael Gornick, and that might be part of the problem too. It just doesn't have the pizzazz or the kind of cheeky uh, comic sensibility of the first one. But um, you know, it, it's it's not terrible. It just sort of doesn't need to exist. Uh, Wade, we were talking about Eyes Without a Face a few minutes ago, yes. and uh, we have another film that's kind of like that. It's called uh, Corruption, and this is a uh, kind of a grindhousey film from 1959, uh, actually 1968. No, 19, what is it, 1959, I believe? Something like that? It's probably late 50s. Uh, it's with Peter Cushing, who... Um, yeah, it would have to be. Modern audiences would remember from um, Star Wars... But before that, uh, before Star Wars, he had a very, very long-running career. He was a huge TV actor in Britain. And did all the and, Hammer Horror films. And then he, he moved on to uh, film where he did all the Hammer Horror films, and he wound up being synonymous with horror, which I don't know that he really liked that much. But then again, uh, money is money, and so he became the horror guy. And uh, in Corruption, he plays a surgeon who um, wants to restore the, uh, the beauty of his uh, disfigured wife, so he starts killing people so that he can rebuild... His wife's beauty. Yeah, all right. Whatever. Now see, now see, now you think Amour is about love? Yeah, that's love. Oh yeah. Now this is not a great Peter Cushing film. It's it's uh, it's got the international cut on it, which is a lot more uh, uh, gory. So that's pretty cool. Gotta love that. But otherwise, yeah. uh, I don't really see much uh, need for this, except for historical purposes. Uh, we have another movie called Shiver. Shiver is one of those uh, kind of lame, straight to straight to who gives a crap. Um, Efforts. This is with Casper Van Dien. Now, Casper Van Dien, I love Starship Troopers. I think that film is like a mini classic. Oh, but the best. I don't know what happened to that guy, Casper Van Dien. He's I think done I'll nothing. Wa- I may watch Starship. Well, you know, he, he got married and uh, they had like 17 kids or something. Well, he, he got married to a the watch name. He was like 20 years older. Yeah, but they, don't they have like 27 kids? They got like 40 kids, right? 40? Something like that. I don't know. 50 something. Hold on. Hold on. I'm not holding on. Anyway, the movie's about a serial killer who uh, likes to put his victims in a, in a uh, like in a trophy case and so it's it's a great museum oh, wow piece. he was once married to Catherine uh, Oxenberg isn't that it no he's married no, to Car- no that's it though Catherine Oxenberg is the one who's 20 years older than he is oh well he was married to Carrie Mitchum until 97 uh, how many how many children do you have like 75 anyway Van Dien is a detective who is uh, searching for the serial killer who uh, chops off the heads oh, of his victims oh he's got four, four kids never mind and not, puts not them that, into not that impressive it's stupid okay uh, another stupid movie is a Static. Static is with a Milo Ventimiglia. And you know what? I am glad that Milo Ventimiglia is doing these sorts of films because he sucks. <laughs> and he deserves to do these sorts of films. You know, you know what I was watching? I was watching, uh, and, and he's in that Milo Ventimiglia vein, mm-hmm. Topher Grace. Oh, jeez. What happened to him? I don't like that guy. You know what? That guy, he's just so sarcastic and a little bit smarmy. He's not sincere. I just feel he's just not good. Topher? Yeah, yes. he, he was kind of on the bubble for a moment, and then he, got, he, he was typecast, and he can't really do anything else. Anyway. All right. So anyway, uh, Static is about a, uh, a, a Milo, Vent, uh, My, My, Milo Ventilation. Plays okay. a, uh, he plays this novelist whose uh, child has died, and it's kind of tearing his marriage apart. And then suddenly this mysterious girl knocks on the door. Where did she come from, Wade? You'll never know because you'll never see Static. No, never. Also in the uh, lame horror film uh, parade, we have Nothing Left to Fear, which uh, 
features a song from Slash, which is about all I can say about it. And uh, Dead Before Dawn, now Dead Before Dawn is, it's, you know, it's, all, it's, it's spoofy and sillier, um, but it's still not that funny. Yeah. So I don't know what the point is, uh, Dead Before Dawn. It, you know, it sort of wants to be one of those... Um, uh, what's the film with the Simon Pegg guy? It wants to be uh, the, the, Simon, the, the Simon Star Pegg. Wars. <laughs> That's my joke. How dare you? I know. Wait a second. I want to know. I can't remember his name. The John of the Dead. Nick Frost. Nick Park. The zombie fingers. Which one? What are you talking about? No, they're all the same. Wait. What's his name again? Wait. Simon Frost and Nick Pegg. That's it. Simon. Simon. Is that Simon Frost? That his name? Yeah. <laughs> well, no, wait a second. It's oh Nick dear. Frost. Nick Frost. No, is it Simon Frost? M- Nick Frost and Simon Pegg. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever. Right. Anyway, Dead Before Dawn is, wants to be one of those Nick Pegg. It's a late Frost. at night, man. He wants to be one of those Nick Pegg, Frost, Simon movies, but it's just not. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, you know, there I are. I don't know, Wade. If, you, if we've learned nothing this hour, it's that I don't know. Yeah. It's late. Uh, horror Stories is a uh, Korean horror anthology. Uh, four different films by uh, six directors, and uh, it's it's creepy as hell. I don't think any of these stories are uh, are classics, but they're they're all they'll put a chill in your spine. Uh, and interesting. This is sort of why the whole J horror movement kind of faded. By the way, you know, uh, the, remember we had we had the Grudge and we had the Ring and. And then everything suddenly just the remakes of them, and then it, uh, it didn't really go anywhere. Even though there were a ton of other films to remake, a few of them they had remakes didn't really go anywhere. It's because the Korean films were stealing all their thunder. The Koreans came in and started making horror films that dwarfed what the Japanese were doing. The Japanese—they're way more sophisticated, like Mother. And... Oh gosh, just yeah. horrifying stuff. Really weird and creepy. Anyway, uh, and I've seen some, I've seen some Korean films that just really <laughs> made my blood run cold. I love so, Bell Royale. Oh, that's Japanese though. That's true. Anyway, so uh, horror stories from art exploitation uh, is is certainly worth checking out. Um, let's uh, let me blow through a few more of these things really super quickly. Uh, let's see, Four Dead Girls, The Soul Taker from uh, Breaking Glass. Uh, you know what? A, a nice kind of horror variation on uh, the, uh, the 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 girls. You know, uh, the the sisterhood concept, right? We've seen it sort of with the. Uh, you know, TV shows like everything from uh, Sex and the City to uh, Girls. This is this sort of elevates that to a horror level. That's all right. Uh, abducted. Gotta go through this real quickly because we're we're running fast, running out of time. Uh, abducted stars Trevor Morgan and uh, Tessa Ferrer, and this is one of those uh, they get they get kidnapped by people in Griffith Park, Mark. What? And I'm never going back to, back to Griffith Park again. I, it's, it, I'll tell you, it's basically like uh, like Saw in Griffith Park, uh, except on a much, much lower budget. Uh, decently scary. Then uh, Billy Zane in an After Dark original, Red Clover. Uh, Billy Zane is just doing, you know, the guy did like crap for a long time, and then he did Titanic, and then he went right back to crap. This actually has uh, ultraviolet, uh, an ultraviolet uh, uh, digital Do-hickey. copy on it. And uh, the only thing that really makes this work is Billy Zane, to be honest. Uh, it's, uh, it's kind of, uh, it's, I don't know how you, how you would, how do I, how do I even describe this without giving anything away? Um, it, you'll never see, you'll never, let's put it this way. You'll never treat St. Patrick's Day the same way again. 
I don't treat it anyway now. We also, uh, from Scream Factory, they have a little uh, budget uh, combination of four films. Uh, all of them sort of exploitation, semi-cult classics. Uh, they are part of the all-night uh, four-film horror marathon. And the films are What's the Matter with Helen from 1971, The Godsend from 1981, The Vagrant, from 1992, which is the least interesting film here, a really bad performance by Bill Paxton and uh, a so-so performance by Michael Ironside. And then The Outing from uh, 1982 that some of you might know as The Lamp. Uh, the best of all of these is probably What's the Matter with Helen from 1971, which is one of those movies that has Shelley Winters playing a psycho. Like I said earlier, you got to love it. And directed by none other than the gentleman that we talked about earlier, Curtis Harrington. So that's a, that's a nice quartet. And uh, a couple more here before I let Mark back. Eyes on the Woods, or Eyes of the Woods, um, is from Central Film. And uh, this is uh, kind of a, a, you know, one of the, all these movies are always about, um, you know, mutant human species lurking out in the woods. They're all kind of variations on uh, the hills have eyes and stuff like that. This is another one of those. You know, so they're out there. They're waiting for you. They're going to, you know, eat you and attack you if you if you go out there. Only thing that really kind of distinguishes this is uh, some interesting makeup effects. And then uh, Adam Chaplin, Violent Avenger from Autonomy Pictures is not very good. Um, but it's, uh, I guess, for, for gore fans, people who like really, really bad, unbelievably obvious uh, gore effects, you know, you'll you'll probably enjoy it. It's an Italian film, so it has all of that giallo splatter stuff going on in it, and it's it's clearly influenced by all of that. It's a more recent film, made just a couple of years ago, but it's got the whole, uh, you know, it's got the whole Lucio Fulci fixation uh, on just splatter everywhere, and the blood always looks a little bit too red and a little bit too crimson. Well, it's Halloween, Wade. That makes yeah, sense. It is what it is. Uh, uh, here we go. I think uh, finally, Wade. Yes. Are we wrapping it up? We're going to wrap it up in a second, yeah. Uh, yep. Wade, I have to go to the bathroom. I know you do. No, I don't. I made that up. Uh, anyway, uh, here's a not bad film for Halloween, kind of a surprise, is a movie called Resolution. This was directed by uh, two guys, uh, Justin Benson and Aaron Moorhead. And this is a movie about a, uh, uh, basically it's a crack addict who uh, his friend stages an intervention where he takes the crack addict into some, like, cabin and ties him up and just sort of like tries to save his crackhead buddy from uh, ODing. It's kind of like an intervention. So while this crackhead is tied up in this cabin on this Native American reservation, strange things start to happen. And it's being compared a lot to Cabin in the Woods. Um, and there is definitely some meta BS going on with Resolution. Cabin in the Woods was like way over the top in that sense. Uh, Resolution has... I, I, I liked a lot of the... Um, I, I like the way the story unfolded, a lot of ambiguity to it, very ominous. These guys are pretty good directors. They can definitely craft a good scene, especially on the budget they were given. So I'd be curious to see what they do next. But uh, until that day, we have Resolution from uh, Justin Benson and Aaron Moorhead. It's not a bad little movie, actually. Yeah. All right. And uh, we're going to wrap up with just a few more here. Um, move quickly along. Uh, three here that are, are, are pretty decent, all of them from Image. Uh, all Hallows' Eve. Jeez, it's not a creepy cover. My yeah, gosh. yeah, I mean, yeah, movie sucks. Oh, my gosh. It, it's just, you, you, every, every, they keep coming up with ways of making clowns look just more and more horrifying. It makes me wonder how anybody ever thought clowns were 
cute or funny or amusing in the first place. Um, anyway, All Hallows' Eve is, uh, you know, per- kind of just perfect Halloween fodder. It, it, will, it, will not be, uh, it will not be timely once Halloween is over. But the, uh, honestly, this clown mask in this thing, it, the, the mask alone is enough to just leap through the ceiling. It is just so horrific looking. And they really don't play it up as much on the uh, the cover of the uh, the DVD as they should. Um, yeah, it's it, you know it's uh, it, it's a it, there's a whole VHS tape like a, a forbidden VHS tape angle to this thing that you'll you'll it'll make you want to raid the closets. Uh, a thing called Aberration that also has a really creepy uh, creepy artwork on the cover. This is about a uh, a young girl named Christy Dawson who's a high schooler and. Um, also kind of a weird psychic like she lives between you know the the worlds of of the of the demons and and the current and um it is about how that wall starts to break down between and shatter her reality and then uh, bloody homecoming ah that's beautiful there's more great artwork right it's provocative yes it is uh, anyway, this is uh, this is this will make you not ever want to go back for uh, for homecoming because you know bad things always happen to teens, and you know uh, if something bad happened in the past at homecoming, you can bet that it's going to come back around this next year. And uh, let's see, Jugface is a really interesting movie. This is uh, I, I was kind of surprised at how good this actually is. Uh, you, you look at this and you go, Jugface, what the hell? Look at the, look at those bad uh, those bad contact lenses on the cover. What the hell is this? Um, I've never heard of anybody in this cast apart from Larry Fessenden and Sean Young. Both of them, their careers are on the rocks. But uh, the idea of this, um, this this small community, this little rural community, with this uh, kind of uh, this haunted pit that is cursed and curses people who fall into it, and all these bizarre things that happen. It's really an original idea. Very very cool. And uh, real quickly, some other movies you might want to check out. Uh, a couple of them from Screen Media Dark Side. One is called Self Storage uh, with Eric Roberts and Michael Berryman. Anytime Michael Berryman is in a movie, you've got to check it out on Halloween because he alone is just one of the scariest looking individuals ever. Of course, Michael Berryman, famous from The Hills Have Eyes. And then a movie called Stalker, which should not be... He was be... in Star Trek V, too, wasn't he? Wasn't he the guy in Star Trek V? Was he in Star Trek V? Michael Berryman? Did he play an alien? He looks like an alien. <laughs> he played Captain Kirk. Oh, there, there we go. Okay. Anyway, and then also from Screen Media Dark Side is uh, Stalker, uh, which should not be confused with the other 757 films uh, that are also named Stalker. Um, oh, yeah, it, he was in Star Trek V. He was. Well, wow, look at that. How about that? Uh, <laughs> anyway. He is not going to age well. This is, this is one of those movies about somebody who goes to, uh, you know, an author who goes to the old family manor to try and uh, get some writing done, and boy, was that a mistake. Now, get this. Michael Berryman has a rare genetic condition that prevents him from developing hair, sweat glands, or fingernails. Well, apparently it doesn't have a problem helping him develop a film career. It's richer than we'll ever be. Yeah. All right, wait, are we done? Uh, just about. Uh, knock, knock those two out, and then I'll um, just uh, briefly mention these, and we're done. Uh, Elijah Wood, who, may I remind everybody, starred in an Oscar-winning Best Picture. Elijah Wood did. <laughs> Lord of the Rings, Return of the King. And what's he doing now? Now he's doing Maniac. This is a um, <laughs> this is a remake of one of those low budget horror films from like the late seventies and early eighties that like uh, I used to avoid because they were too scary. Yeah. Um, but uh, Elijah Wood's in it, and is the film any good? You know, it's very gory, and uh, you know, it's uh, it's fun if you like that kind of a thing. I mean, if Elijah Wood's involved, you know, he sees something in it. 
Um, but I just think that these movies are kind of a dime a dozen now. I just don't really see any purpose unless you just love Elijah Wood. Um, there was an audio commentary with Elijah Wood, so that's you know good for him for you know for uh, liking the film enough and wanting to promote it enough on Blu-ray to participate in the um, audio commentary. Otherwise, uh, I think we can just pass. Nice. Now, uh, Wishboard Two is a sequel to a film from um, uh, a decent uh, horror film from the late eighties called Witchboard. And actually, I used to um, work with the wife of the producer of this film. I have to say, many years ago. In fact, the wife of the producer of this film. Uh, uh, used to just gush over Witchboard because Witchboard at the time was like a real popular, very low budget film. Witchboard was kind of a big deal for its time. And uh, anyway, so now there's Witchboard 2, and uh, frankly, I didn't like Witchboard, so there's no reason to like Witchboard 2. Um, this is with Amy Dolans. Now, here's the thing I'm going to tell you about this because it's, it's very exciting. Mm-hmm. Now, Amy Dolans is the daughter of Mickey Dolans of the Monkees. Of the Monkees. Yep. Now, when Wait, Amy Dolan, I just saw the other day. I saw him uh, somewhere. You I saw him at a screening or something. You I did not. Yeah, I did. Mickey no, I Dolan's. Did. Yeah. Now, when he's Amy, a, he's around. Now, when Amy Dolan's was younger, like in her teens and early twenties. Yeah. Delicious. I know. She was in uh, some movie. What was that movie? She's she's uh, she's all that. He's yeah, all, it, it, got, it was something where like she like emerges from the ocean in a yeah, bikini or something yeah, in slow motion, yeah. like Phoebe Cates in yeah, uh, right. Fast Times. Of course, now she's in her forties, and uh, it's over. Okay. It's over, Johnny. Uh, a, a Walmart exclusive, and for good reason. John Voight in Dracula: The Dark Prince, uh, a bizarrely almost unrecognizable John Voight in this really silly, silly uh, low-budget Dracula movie. Um, I, I, full disclosure: I watched about ten minutes of this thing. I saw no reason to watch any more. Maybe it'll be uh, your kind of a deal. Uh, also watched uh, a f- only a few minutes of these next two: Murder University. Arr! Uh That's really low budget, and uh, it. Not particularly good. Didn't didn't uh, the acting was just repulsively bad. But you know, it, it it seems to be loaded with gore, and a lot of people online seem to just love that. And then also from Screen Media, Duress, um, which uh, Martin Donovan. I, I I watched a little bit more of this. Not a whole lot. Martin Donovan is a really good actor, and I'm kind of surprised he's doing this stuff. But it doesn't prevent him from being a really good actor. It's it's sort of um, a little bit tries to go in the same psychological direction as uh, the uh, the Star Wars. Uh, no, the Hugh Jackman, uh, Jake Gyllenhaal thing. Prisoners. Prisoners, a little bit, but not in the, to the same degree. Uh, it, it's sort of a little bit more of an exploitation film. But Martin Donovan, really good in it. And then lastly, Blue Underground, Snuff. This is a film that has such a bizarre history to it, and uh, so much of it is just hype, and some of it is, uh, a, a, some of, there is actually some weird stuff in the history of this film. And I won't get into all of it, but it is fascinating to me that uh, Blue Underground has, uh, has released it. And it is, uh, for those who don't, aren't, aren't familiar with it, it is a, um, it's, it purports to be not just a movie about a snuff film, but to actually have snuff material in it, you know. It was originally called The Slaughter, uh, and it was um, made by uh, Michael and Roberta Findlay, who also had a um, had a bit of a history with films like this. Anyway, uh, they re-released it with a new ending some years after they originally made it and came entitled it Snuff. So The Slaughter became Snuff, and... Um, they, they they pretend that there are people uh, who were in this film that were never that vanished, and uh, it, it, anyway, suffice to say, Refn actually introduces this thing. Blue Underground went and tracked down Refn to do an intro to this, 
And uh, that tells you something alone, just in terms of the level of violence that Refn would would care enough about a film called Snuff to go and do a, an intro for the DVD for the Blu-ray. Yeah, but what 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 you didn't hear was that uh, after the intro was shot, he uh, actually killed himself on screen no, on he camera. Had, he actually uh, pulled Dang. out the guts of the cameraman with his own fist. That's pretty sweet. That sounds That's like something good. he would do. It does. Are we done? All right, man, that was uh, that was rough. Uh, with no energy, very little sleep, and uh, fading fast. Mark, we nailed it. I don't. I, I think this was maybe one of the most incoherent shows I have ever done, but uh, we got through it. So, everybody, have yourselves a fantastic Halloween. For those of you who are not in the United States, who are thinking, what is it? What is with you people in this Halloween thing? You know what? I dare you. When October 31st comes around, if your country does not celebrate Halloween, just dress up and go around and start asking people for candy anyway. And uh, you'll be amazed at how much fun it is. Don't get caught alone, no, no. When it comes through your door, unless you just want some more, I think you better call.